This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. I'm back with another episode. This year, uh, like a couple of years ago, I came to you from the Western States Canine Association seminar here in Reno. So last year, they weren't able to have the seminar. We're back this year. They have about 100 dog teams here in Reno this week. Um, it's a great seminar. I've been involved with it for quite a while. Uh, check out WSPCA.net. Ron Cloward is here with me. I got a few trainers with me. We're going to talk kind of about what we're doing this week, uh, but check out WSPCA.net. Look at their seminar. If you want to go to a working dog seminar, I think this is a very good one. They do some classes uh, in the morning and then the afternoon. They have always have a lot of venues set up so you can go out and do working dog stuff, whether it's patrol, bombs, narcotics, whatever your dog does, they have scenarios set up and a lot of uh, trainers from all over the, the country are here and dog handlers from a lot of the Western states. So I think it's a great seminar. Check it out. We're here this week doing it. So this morning, I grabbed a couple of the trainers here to sit down with me. We just wanted to talk about some of the stuff we're seeing right now in the industry, as well as what we're doing this week and kind of the scenarios we're setting up and just talking about the results we're seeing in the scenarios we're setting up. So with that, I'm going to go around the table here and have everybody introduce themselves and kind of talk a little bit about what their background is. So if we could start with you, Ron. Okay. Um, my name is Ron Cloward. I'm a retired police lieutenant from uh, Modesto, California, and uh, had the uh, good fortune of being in canine my entire career. Uh, probably one of the best things that ever happened Absolutely. to me. So uh, um, I've been doing uh, canine training now for probably about 34, 35 years. Um, have my own business out in California. We uh, do about 90 dog teams a month um, doing just maintenance work and uh, keep us pretty busy. Um, so that's kind of my background. I'm the president of uh, Western States. So we've been uh, doing this for quite some time now, this conference, and uh, um, it's a labor of love. It's a good time. We, uh, we get a lot done out here. Yeah, it's a very fun conference. I appreciate you always uh, inviting me. Have a great time. Uh, next, we have uh, Jimmy Davenport. Yeah, this is Jimmy Davenport. I'm a 28-year veteran of the Austin Police Department in Texas. And in that 28 years, I spent 23 years in the Austin Police Department canine. And my goal or my job there was patrol canine. And then 12 years of that was also as a SWAT dog. Um, I started working for Bob Eden in 2005 with him. And then later, about five years ago, I started working for Ron Cloward and Top Dog. And loving every minute of it. So you're, you're retired now, but you're obviously working a lot of dogs still. Yes. Yeah. Outstanding. Uh, Corey? Uh, my name is Corey Windling. I'm from Texas also. Work for a suburb of Dallas. I've uh, been in Canine about 15 years. Certified official within NDDA for about eight years. And, uh, this is my first year out here. So this is the first time you're here. What do you think of this uh, seminar? Pretty good. A good. It's time. always good to go different places and see how different people train. And you always come away with different ideas, good or bad, on things you need to do. Sure. Yeah, it's a good time. So, And we've got Billy. This is Billy Holbert. I'm with also with a suburb of in of Dallas. I've been in K9 for uh, 22 years, probably my sixth year here at the WSPCA conference, and it's always uh, it's always an honor to be here and, and learn a lot from the uh, other trainers and the handlers themselves. And uh, it's always a great time. 
I agree. So I'm going to have Billy, have you keep the mic for a minute? Billy and I have been working together uh, this last couple of days, and we just had a seminar or a, a scenario set up where uh, I won't bore you with any of the details. Uh, actually, I've got one more trainer coming up. If uh, We're going to have Tyler Clark join us too. Tyler, you mind uh, just jumping on and uh, kind of introducing yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. My name is Tyler Clark. I've uh, retired from the Reno Police Department after 25 years. It's been now a total of nearly 30 years in canine training. I started very early in my career, even before I got on the department as a decoy and working, working with the team locally. Um, been training dogs for a long time and love every minute of it. Outstanding. Glad to have you. So we'll get back with uh, Billy. And uh, I was just starting to say that Billy and I have uh, had a scenario going the last couple of days. And it's, uh, it, uh, I won't go through all the details, but it was basically a, a simple, uh, we tried to make it as simple as possible, not introduce any uh, arm party type of it. It was a, we said it was a, a party who we believed to be unarmed, hiding in the basement of a business. And in the business, there was a large culvert that was actually used for a, a shooting range. So it was basically like a big sewer culvert. We put a guy in the back of that and uh, we were looking for some decision-making where basically uh, whether the handler would look for some other options before he put his dog in the culvert and even uh, did the handler check the culvert. So I don't know, Billy, you want to just kind of go over some of the things we saw. We, we, we saw some trends. We saw a lot of good dogs and a lot of teams that made the right decision. Then we saw a few trends of, of things we didn't like as much. Sure. It, it seemed like um, probably 50% of the teams wanted to put their dogs in this culvert. Uh, the culvert was dark, and they wanted to put their dogs in the culvert to search the culvert without actually putting eyes in the culvert. Yeah. So um, the problem with that is they didn't know what uh, what they were actually putting their dog in, um, what situation. There could be a, a hole, a shaft, a, sure. a, you know, something like that. It, so I think they learned a lot throughout the throughout the process. Um and I, I can't stress enough how the, uh, the scenario-based training is is such a necessity in our in our line of work in canine. Um, it makes the handlers think, and it's not just for the dog; it's for the it's for the handlers too and their decision-making skills. So I agree. And Ron, I don't know if you want to address too. We've uh, I know you asked everybody here. One of the things I like about uh, this seminar a lot is that even on the first day during orientation, you really asked everybody to please show up with their their all their gear ready to go and handle these scenarios as a scenario. And for the most part, I would say almost all of our guys did that. We had a few people that maybe didn't bring all their equipment with them. But overall, I really like that format of if we're going to do scenarios, let's go and, and be ready for it. So, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you should train in your, train in your gear, yeah. train in your equipment because your dogs know that. Makes a difference. Absolutely. And uh, Tyler, I'm going to throw you on the spot. I know you mentioned uh, in the, the we did a trainer's panel with everybody, and that's kind of a pet peeve of yours of uh, in, having the equipment on. Yeah, definitely. Um, the scenario we set up at our training site to, yesterday and over the course of this week involved a lot of tactics. And it was dark inside the building, and I was actually surprised at the number of guys that came in and didn't have their flashlights with them and yeah. were using their iPhone flashlight or asking me to uh, to light up an area for them. And, and we're demonstrating, we're trying to demonstrate to them good tactics. And when you don't have your gear and you're not properly prepared, then you're not ready to deploy. And if you're not ready to deploy, then you shouldn't be there. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think Billy, you and I both heard a few times this week, well, if it was a real deal. So when we're doing these scenario trainings, I think everybody sitting at this table is going to agree that let's treat it like a real deal and, and you know, don't set up a scenario. And I guess it's it, it can almost be rude if a trainer set up a scenario and people are coming and then you show up, you know, half half dressed and say, well, if it was a real deal, well, then I'm not going to set up a real scenario for you next time if you're going to do that. So. Um, our scenario went overall, I think, pretty good. I think uh, guys left with at least some th- things to think about. The other part of our scenario, uh, Billy, I think uh, we talked to him a lot about, uh, was once they realized someone was in the culvert, you know, what were their next steps? And I think most of the guys kind of handled it good, but we were trying to to implore them to maybe slow down a little bit. What did you think of that part of it? I thought it was great for the handlers to go through um, and see that, that we don't always just throw our dog into a, a situation whenever – we have eyes on and can and call them out or, or use less lethal options and other options before the dog, especially in, in today's, you know, where exactly. we're at today yeah. um, with the uh, de-escalation and so forth. And I think they all learned a lot. They seem to uh, to really uh, enjoy the, the exercise and get something out of it. Yeah, so I think if you're listening to this and you're trying to think about a new scenario, I mean, it's not hard to set up a, a quick scenario where um, you 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 – make the handler make a decision to to start slowing things down and look at other options. Doesn't mean there'll be a bite on every scenario. It doesn't mean there won't be a bite on the scenario. It just means look over the options and then make them verbalize what else could we have done, throw some gas, do, you know, do some things to, to de-escalate them a 40 or talk to them longer. So um, I, I agree. I think they at least hopefully they walked away from it kind of with something to think about. And, and Tyler? Yeah, I think uh, putting these scenarios together the way the way we have – at this seminar um, has really been beneficial for these guys. Our scenario that that I set up at our site was actually a dry hole, and not many people are doing dry hole searches. They're uh, they're used to getting their dog out of the car, coming up to the door, making their announcements, sending their dog in, making a bite, and calling it a day. Um, twofold, I told these people that came through each one of my scenarios that that we're trying to break that condition response of the dog, believing that every single time I get yeah. out of the car, I'm going to make a find. And you'd be amazed at the handlers at the very end of the the search itself when I called that it was all clear and that it was a dry hole. They were actually disappointed at times until I started actually yeah. talking to them yeah. and explained to them why, why we need to do dry holes. Um, it gave them the benefit of seeing what their dog – looked like when it was searching an area that there's nobody at. Yeah. Um, there's no fresh scent in the area. There's there's no suspect hiding in there. And it'll give them that ability to compare and contrast the other the other searches that they do have somebody located in them. Yeah, and I can tell you from not going over and actually watching your scenario, but standing in the building, we had a, a break in the wall and we could hear what I could hear from the barks was a lot of frustration in the dogs. And, yeah, 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 definitely. And I'm sure that's part, you know, they're, they're, the dogs see all the training and probably come out of the car amped up. But um, were, were guys over-searching that, assuming, you know, we do that in detection training all the time. If we think there's a, a hide there, we search 15 times as opposed to call it blank. I could hear from the barking, my my impression was that guys were probably over-searching. The dogs were basically barking at them saying, look, there's nothing here. Yeah, that's that's true. That's exactly what was happening. They they would come into the area and and there might be some residual scent in the room from me going and closing doors and things like that. 
But when the dog came in and realized there was no source of that scent and yeah. they couldn't locate the source of that scent, then they started looking for the minutia. And then they yeah. find that little residual odor on a doorknob. And then they jump and bark at the doorknob. And then the handler would, of course, say, yeah. well, my dog's alerting. Somebody's in that room. So we would handle it as we normally would. They'd call out to them and they'd get no response. But here we are buried deep in the in the hole yeah. and we have to move forward. So we would push forward with the with the scenario and let them actually go in and open the door and find out that nobody's in there. Yeah. But that's that that's that conditioned response that I always talk about. The dog, if you go to training and 90% of your trainings are finding in a building in a bite, apprehension in a bite, handler protection in a bite, and 10% of it is the regular stuff, fundamental stuff, doing detection work for yeah. whatever your process is then the dogs become conditioned to know the second their paws hit the ground, their jaws are putting on something. Yep. And that's yeah. that's no way to be. And I think as an industry, we've gotten really good about doing blanks uh, with detection dogs, and we probably don't do nearly enough of it on our patrol stuff. So I think that was a really good scenario. So, And, Corey, you had a little bit different scenario. Same building, but you had a little bit different scenario, if you can kind of describe what you were doing. All right, so our scenario was set up in some ways almost to be a failure for the dog. It was more the tactics of the team. Um, I think a lot of times in training, we, we tend to focus so much on the dog and the dog always being successful. We sometimes forget we're still police officers. And that goes back into building those just things you have to do. How you train is how you're going to be in the real world. Exactly. So it was kind of briefly, it was a high fine in a hallway and the odor, the way the odor was in this building, uh, as soon as you went through a door, the fine was actually kind of right above you and all the odor was going to the other end of this hallway. So teams would either... Their dogs would go to the end of the hallway and alert. So guys would just go straight into the room to get to their dog because, well, my dog's yeah. alerting. I got to get down there. Yeah. And they never look around. Or a lot of dogs just missed it because it was a high fine. Sure. And they would still go in there without ever searching around and all that. So it was kind of set up that way. Um, I'll, I'll say on the high fine that was interesting is it was a big ladder going up to, I think it was roof access. Correct. So it's just funny, our condition response too, is we're just looking at the dog and maybe at the 10 foot level. Right. And if you walk in there, this ladder was right in front of you. And you would think, uh, you know, without without even thinking about it, you would think you would look up the top of the ladder. And, right. and it, so it was interesting. I'm, I'm not saying I would either. So it's just one of those scenarios that when you set it up, it looks fairly simple. But once you run 20, 30 dogs from, you realize this is a valuable scenario. And I think sometimes I just say that because sometimes when we're looking to set up a quick scenario in a school on training night, don't look for the super odd one. Just look for something that would be realistic. You know, the burglar is trying to get up onto the roof and get stuck there way up high and, and leave the person there for a little bit and right. see how they work. But uh, The other two issues that came out of it that we saw a lot, um, you know, we have a lot of guys that Probably like many of us in training, the guy that's searching with his dog goes in. Everybody else sits in their trucks outside. Uh, so as cover officer, me being uh, yeah. pretending to be cover officer, if I saw the bad guy before the handler did, I would address him. And the majority of dogs were focused on me at that point because they're just not, yeah. you know, these guys are like, yeah, I don't ever have anybody come in. You know, in real world, yeah. yes, but training they don't. Yeah. Uh, so that was something a lot of the people needed to address as well. Exactly. Uh, you know, just to make it realistic, like we said, wear your equipment. Do things like you really would. Yeah. Okay. And Jimmy, you were at a different uh, location, so I wasn't able to to see any of your stuff. So can you kind of talk about what you've been doing? Sure. Yesterday, the uh, uh, scenario that I set up was based on something that occurred or happened to me several years ago, where a bank robber hit the bank, and then the girlfriend gave him up because once it got on the TV, they put his picture out. And she called our intel guys and said, "Hey, boyfriend's at home right now. He's the guy that did it. 
Our intel officers met with him real quick, or met with her rather, and confirmed everything. Got eyes on the house. He's sitting on the bed watching TV. And uh, so they keep eyes on it. They call me because I work with them often. And I got there really quick because I was only about 10 minutes away from where this guy lived. So once we got there, it was she was pretty legit in their minds that this was there's no real weird situation here. He really is the guy. He's just sitting there watching TV. So we blew through the house really quickly thinking our element of surprise on him would be our best sure. advantage. Sure. So as soon as we got to the, the bedroom when the door was open, we could see him sitting on the bed. He's it looked like he was watching TV, but he really wasn't. He was just kind of spaced out. Yeah. We later found out he was high as a kite, but he just had that faraway look, giving him commands. He's laying on the bed. He's got the sheet pulled all the way around his neck, very taut, very tight. And so my thinking was, as he's sitting there, you know, with a gun in his lap, about to shoot sure. all of us. And, and in thinking that, I was like, well, I gave him one quick warning per policy I had to give. And I sent the dog in there because that taut sheet, you know, it made it real difficult sure. for him to try to get a, a bite. And he kept making the effort and finally he managed to get position himself to bite the guy on the trap here up on right around the neck area and finally pulled him off the bed and so i thought well, let's set that up because such an unusual bite yeah, scenario yeah. it's not a, a normal target picture for any dog and especially me seeing that like, oh, i've never i've seen we train stuff like that yeah. when i work with swat because we found guys rolled up in blankets sure. and carpet one time so my dog knew how to defeat that it's just a matter of figuring the uh, how to defeat that scenario but so we ran that yesterday Probably about half the dogs went up, sniffed. I smell a person, but what do I do? Yeah. Because our helper, he's covered with, he's got a motorcycle helmet on, so that's an oddball picture, but obviously for safety. Yeah. But a lot of them kept poking at the sheet just like mine did, but then they'd leave and come back to the handle, like, well, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And then others went right in there. Once they realized it was a human form, they rocketed right here and took care of business. Sure. And then the others, probably a third of those, we then had to go, okay, we've got to cut this as a tactical operation. Let's make this a, a dog handling problem. Sure. We'll cut it, walk up, make a little bit of noise, movement, and give the dog a bite. And show them, you know, hey, it's not not everybody's standing there in yeah. a bite suit or laying there in a bite suit to be bit. Sure. Um, do you think the uh, on that same note, were you also looking at the tactics and seeing what? So, what were you seeing with the the handlers when? Because um, I think you know every one of us sitting at this table has had a dog do something weird or straight up fail. And I think it's it's what I like sometimes about going to these seminars. Most of those handlers you didn't actually know, which puts a little bit different pressure on than if it's your regular your regular trainer you train with. So then when your dog's doing something jacked up, I think it almost replicates the real world a little more, and you get to see the stress reaction of the handler. How did a lot of the handlers react when the dog wasn't doing what they thought, you know, what they perceived they should be doing? I kind of read as each one differently. Is it just the dogs trying to figure it out, let him work it, like what I was doing on my real call? Or is it there's just total confusion here and the dog just barking and yeah. or he just you can see he's definitely confused about what's yeah. going on here. And so I, I kind of had to play that game of, you know, read the dog, read the handle yeah. all at the same time. And then the other thing, I when I saw guys were trying to do it perfectly, like I'm going to do this yeah. very slow. Very, remember, yeah. this was a very quick bang-bang yeah. operation we were running on a live call. I tried to instill that in them because they're trying to do it slow yeah. and methodical. I had to, I'd say very loudly, you're in a bank robber's house and he might yeah. have a gun. Let's you know, kind of putting that little element of fear yeah. into them. Uh, what I like to say is I always like to put that cold uh, cold uh, sweat running down your butt crack feeling. Yeah, you yeah. Know, when we're in that dark room or you're dealing with a bank robber, uh, you can't simulate that in any way. Yeah. But a little bit of pressure coming from uh, us. Hey, you're in a bank robber's house. Do something. Yeah. Uh, several times I had to kind of urge people yeah. to make a decision. Don't stand here and try to make the perfect call. Which is going back to setting up these scenarios 
we want to put a little stress on the handlers and see, you know, get them used to working in that stressful environment. Right. So sounds like a good scenario. I think overall, um, probably like us, I think we saw probably more success than failures and hopefully guys walked away, you know, with some stuff to think about. So, and Ron, I think you were at a different training area. If you can kind of talk about what you were doing. Yeah, we, uh, we had, a, had set up a, uh, decoy inside a building and it was a justified use of the dog it was uh, a commercial burglary confirmed um, movement inside all that kind of thing so it was a justified use of the dog but what they didn't realize was the decoy was also armed with a uh, plastic knife and as they would work their way to the dog some would use their long lines some would not Um, those that did use their long lines would actually bring the decoy toward them but as soon as they'd see the knife some of them would freeze up. They didn't know what to do. They would try to get their dogs to come off the bite. Um, maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, about half of them actually shot the suspect stabbing the dog. And then, you know, yeah. half of those that did, after they did it, said, I shouldn't have done that. And no like, kidding. No, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so um, you put them into a decision-making process. And one of the things we talked about debriefing it was the fact that um, we're focused as handlers that we've got this less lethal tool, the dog, but we forget about other less le- lethal yeah. options. And yeah. they had somebody with them. And I said, so what about maybe asking somebody on, on your group, or your team to tase the guy? Yeah. You know, I mean, something, you got to think of something else. Um, I mean, some of them just froze. I had one handler turn around, looked at me and said, honestly, Ron, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah. So, I mean, it put Which, them into that situation. Yeah. Which you know, I think if, if people are listening, they're like, oh, that's horrible. I look at that as that's good training because it, it opened his eyes up and hopefully he'll take that back home and say, hey, we're going to set these scenarios up and, and start doing them. I think we spend so much time, I think as Tyler mentioned, you know, we're doing just the, the release work and all the basics and stuff. And we do so little decision-making scenarios. And I know that, you know, when I think several of us here do expert witness stuff. Uh, that's what's hurting us in court is that we're not doing the decision-making scenarios. I think. Yeah, well, I think uh, as an industry right at the moment, um, we're teetering on the edge of losing the industry. And I think you're going to start seeing, I know one particular chief in California has told his dog handlers, you're one bad deployment away from losing your program. So I think that's the temperature out there. And if yeah. we don't start making better decisions. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, and I've never been that, that guy that's always worried about, uh, patrol dogs, but everything's on the table right now. This is a crazy world in our environment. So I think uh, you touched on a great uh, uh, topic that uh, Billy and I, we saw too, as far as looking at the less lethal options and then looking at one of the things that uh, we talked about was if they did decide to send the dog down into this uh, tube or culvert, uh, what do you think their their options were? You know, they, I don't think they had thought through, you know, if the dog started was being defeated or something. And I think uh, you have any feedback on, you know, what the, I guess the thought process on some of these officers where I'm going to let the dog go down and bite and everything's going to be perfect. And then when we threw we're like, well, what if the dog starts getting defeated or something? That's when it started dawning on that, that it's not going to work as well. So. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about. Um, whenever your dog, whenever the, the, the suspect or decoy in this, in this situation is at the end of a, a, a tube, a, a culvert that's, you know, probably, I don't know, 30 feet in deep. If you send your dog in, you got to get your dog out. If the if the suspect goes hands-on with your dog, then, you know, you've got to go in too. Then you lose your, your long cover. You lose other options because um, you got to go hands-on uh, versus, um, 
you know, if you if you used other options and called them out, they don't call out. You use uh, gas, pepper balls, some other means yeah. uh, before before you use your dog. Um, you know, I think that I think that at the end of the scenario, they saw that and and was and some of them, you know, if you couldn't get your dog off, you know, that's a problem too. Uh, some had long lines, uh, some didn't. So um, I just think that there's a lot into that that we don't think about. We just send, we just want to send our dogs in. Yeah. And I think one other thing I'll throw out to everybody at the table, um, and I think, uh, like, uh, Corey, I think you probably saw this a decent amount, when the dogs didn't do exactly what they thought they were going to do. Um, and I said some of the handlers maybe were disappointed, but then what was some of the, the information that the handlers sent down the leash of the dog through their frustration? I think we saw a few examples of that. Did you see any of those were oh, yeah, you know, were, not the dog's <laughs> fault? There were many times the dogs, you know, real world, how many times are they going to do this? You know, yeah. send their, there wasn't a whole lot of area to search on mine. It was pretty much just that hallway. So they'd send their dog down there 10, 15, 20 times. The dog's just running back and forth. How long would you really do this in the real world? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's that. Obviously, yeah. most of us, most everybody would have just moved on. I think it's interesting without even discussing it, three of us set up scenarios where it really wasn't going to be a dog call in the end. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, and mine, even kind of like I was saying, it was a high fine. The guy was standing on a little bitty ledge. <laughs> Excuse me. So even once they found him, you could see a lot of the handlers kind of freezing up, trying to figure out how do I get my dog up there to him? Yeah. Like, yeah. Dogs, <laughs> this guy's 10 feet up in the air on a two foot ledge. Why would you even think yeah. about that? You yeah. Know, so then, but a bunch of them would stop. Okay, I'm going to back out. We have other lethal options. Yeah. So it was good to see a lot of people that did come up with that yeah. on their own. And I think that what that kind of tells all of us is that as an industry, we need more of this. You know, and and uh, I think it goes back to if you can find out some other ways, maybe to do all the control work. If you if you know how to properly condition your dog, so you're not having to work release and recalls on. 60% of your training time, then maybe we can set up more of the scenario-based training. And I think I was telling, uh, maybe it was uh, one of the handlers, uh, when I was still in patrol dog, uh, uh, we had a really good relationship with one of the patrol dog trainers in the next agency over. And we just had a great time screwing with each other. And we would set up the most off-base scenarios and try to, and it was a very fun, friendly, heated rivalry between both agencies. And man, all it did is make us good. Because we, the more, so we would laugh, you know, when we came up with something, it was like, oh, we got to call, got to call Chris and his guys. And then when they'd call, when my phone would ring and we were eating dinner, it's like, oh God, what do they got for us? But it was nothing but fun. It made dog training a whole lot of fun, especially on snowy winter nights. We'd go to a school they had, or they'd come to one of ours and, and have it. So hopefully uh, guys take that away from, from the seminar. So Jim, you have anything else that you wanted to add from what you, you saw overall, uh, what what guys are doing right now, and uh, obviously our industry and our profession is changing. But what are you seeing this week that uh, you think maybe we need to still work on? Very uh, things up. Uh, the canned hunt searches, like you heard, you know what Tyler does, but there's nobody there. Yeah. Uh, how many thousands of buildings? I know I called clear. Yeah. Well, if you're doing it thousands of times in a career and you're in training, it should not be that difficult to know your dog and go. There's nobody here. Exactly. But yet you're here, and there's that expectation, like he's saying. Um, so I think we don't, I think as an industry, we're not, people aren't doing the expansion, thinking outside the box training, as I call it. Yeah. You know, it's not always going to be like my biggest pet peeve is once your dog learns how to out, like you said, he does basic bite work. Well, then I do all my bite work from that point on a street bite work. Yeah. The guy's not standing, or as I told guys yesterday, I've never caught a guy in all my years standing there acting like he's ready to catch me. Catch exactly. The dog, yeah. And then doing a the little twist with the arm. Yeah. He's under something. He's inside something. I got to drag him out of something, go up on over and through something. 
uh, you got to show the dog so when he sees it live, this is not new to him. Yeah. Versus when it is, there's that confusion, and we see that now. Yeah. So I think the lack of uh, outside the box training, especially in the bite work realm, I'm seeing that. Yeah. And and in those scenarios that you're talking about, what you get on the backside of that is you get better control of your dog because now the dog is recalling off a prone person who's under a bush as opposed to the standing person who's surrendering all the time. So I think it all kind of feeds together. So how about you, Ron? I know you were saying that uh, I think the first day, uh, I don't know, is lackadaisical the right word for some of what you saw on just a few of the people? Um, and I don't know, I think sometimes people come on a training environment and maybe don't want to do the scenario the way, you know, as serious as we want. But overall, I think uh, there's probably some things you saw we could improve on. Well, yeah, I think uh, as handlers, we need to start approaching training as uh, real life. And, and when you do that, um, you're better prepared, your dog's better prepared. And that goes back to the, you know, wearing your gear, your equipment, being in your uniform, you know, all that stuff and, and play the game the way you would play the game in the real world and do that in training. And day one, there were a few, and and I was with Jimmy, actually, and we both addressed a couple of guys that showed up with nothing other than T-shirts and a pair of jeans, you know, and yeah. we're like, hey, uh, you know, let's talk about this. So we yeah. would have that conversation, and then, uh, and then we learned stuff, too. We learned stuff from some of these guys, and that's the thing about this as trainers – we're constantly learning. Great point. You know, yeah. and it, and that's good for us because we see something somebody's done. And like Jimmy said yesterday, he says, uh, he goes, I learned something today. He said, SWAT rocks. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh, SWAT rocks. And I, I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, where did that come from? And I said, well, I used to carry rocks, little rocks in my pocket to <laughs> throw at a door if I couldn't get my dog yeah. focused. And when the rock would hit the door, the dog would immediately look at the door and I'd send them. And he was like, I never heard that before. <laughs> if it's a SWAT rock, does that be painted black and cost eight hundred dollars for yeah. the rock though? So I've, I've talked about that. I'm actually gonna make some, put yeah. them into a camo bag and call them tactical SWAT rocks. And I think I'd make a fortune. Yeah, the, the markup on it can be huge. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> outstanding uh, point. Anybody else have anything else they want to add as far as I guess I, we'll talk real quick about and you already mentioned it, Ron, so I'll keep keep up with you for a minute. Um, I don't want to sound doom and gloom, but I think this is a time to, you know, maybe tighten things up and just look at the industry. And sitting at this table, we have probably close to 150 years of experience sitting here. Um, I think all of us are going to agree that, that this is not the time to be on video doing something stupid and not taking, even like on the, the scenario we did, the guy was biteable. And there was a point where it probably would be more than justified to, to send the dog down the tube, fish this guy out and pull him back out. But what we were trying to implore them was to stack up a few things in your favor and, and take a little time and stuff. And um, anybody else have any thoughts about where we're at? It, I think it comes down to necessity, okay? And if people will start thinking that in their head, is this necessary or is there another option? Um, I can be in a classroom with a group of handlers and can ask in the room how many bites their dogs have and everybody can tell me. But when I ask them how many arrests they have with their dogs where no bite was taken nobody knows yeah i think we track the importance of uh the bite which really isn't it's the taking the guy into custody and and whether the dog gets a bite or not is not important it's getting the bad guy in custody exactly i think we need to try to figure out ways to do that with less um intrusive uses of the dog in my opinion and and i think some people are are dogged when they probably shouldn't be dogged they probably could have used something else I agree. And um, not that 
not to keep beating the dead horse on it, but I think especially now when we see some of the videos and then we see uh, also the videos of the dogs that um, maybe aren't coming off the bite in a proper manner, that's a whole subject as to that. But I, I think the, the days of having a body camera and then having the, the, the two, three, four minutes of trying to lift the dog off, I, that's going to be one of the things that will sink us too. So Definitely. And Jimmy, what do you what do you think? Uh, uh, one of the things that I tried to address before I retired with our administration and my command staff was kind of touching on what Ron said and what you're saying earlier about how do we build a better a better um, uh, I'd say mousetrap is not the right word better product. And that sure. is when we had like Ron just said, everybody knows their bite number, but almost nobody knows how many people they didn't bite. Sure. Well, what I was trying to get our supervisors to do, if we had a deployable situation, like you could have bit this guy and you didn't, you made a better decision, yeah. or maybe you went to less lethal, make that accommodation, put that in the officer's file, Absolutely. because eventually, whether you're in court or your IA or wherever you go that you are in a civil suit, you're going to show, hey, there's a many, many times this handler did not use force when he certainly was within his right to do that, yeah. and build the case for you, not always build the case against you. Yeah, and uh, that wasn't. All that well received at the time, but <laughs> but I kept trying to push that. And then sometimes I, as an officer, wrote that when I was training a new handler, we'd go on the street and he'd have a great fine, or he could have bit the guy, chose not to. And I'd write it up as an officer, hey, it's going to get in there somehow. Yeah. And I felt like, well, if I'm a 28 year vet doing this 23 years, I'm still going to carry some weight somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that was one of my big things is trying to get administration to build cases for us, not against us. Yeah, I agree. Court, what do you think? You've been doing this for a long time too. I probably can't say anything on that that they haven't already said. Yeah. I think my biggest takeaway from this is, is a lot of people need to train more for when their dogs fail and, and how they're going to address that and train through the failure. You know, if their dog's failing, don't stop the scenario and say, hey, yeah. we got to do this, train through it, and then go back and fix the yeah. dog. And, and to, get used to it. But learn how your dog is going to react when nothing is going right and work through that. Yeah, I agree. And Billy, you're you're a supervisor, so you have a little bit different uh, take on some of this, and you've been doing this for a long time too. So, as far as what you think are ch changing, and you know, if, if you could set a an industry wide rule or thought, I know, like I like Ron's idea of that, you know, necessity, and and uh, you know, what what do you think you could just implore on everybody right now, as far as the state we're in? As a supervisor, um, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but. Um, first of all, I need to, I as a supervisor, want to make sure their training is set up right and, and that, uh, that they're doing scenario-based training and, and having to make decisions because if you don't make decisions in training, then you're just going to go through, exactly. on the streets, you're going to go through repetition of your own self of just sending your dog every time instead exactly. of trying to make decisions. Um, and I think it was, it was Jimmy that talked about, you know, giving, giving those handlers the, um, the accolades when they do yeah. good things and, and, you know, putting something good in their files. And um, I think it's important that um, that the industry look at, at canine as a whole and what we do. And and there's so much there's so much more that the dog is a locating tool. It's a great resource, um, but there's so much the dogs can do other than just bite. And we have so many other options that make it safer for for the for the canine handlers, for the officers, for the suspects, for, for everybody involved. So I agree. I agree. And Tyler, what do you what do you think about that? Well, coming from coming from a defensive tactics standpoint, um, I had extensive training in def defensive tactics. I was a defensive tactics instructor, and <clears throat> excuse me, one of the biggest things that that we would try and get into people's heads that they have to understand is it's the it's the 
only use the amount of force necessary to take the person into custody. Sure. Simple as that. And I think with the scenario-based training and teaching the handlers other options coming out of that scenario-based training is going to help them. Because, again, it comes back to muscle memory. Exactly. If every single time you jump out of the car and a person swings at you, you hit your door popper and the dog comes out, well, that becomes muscle memory to you. And you start to rely on that as a crutch and you forget about your hands-on techniques, your baton, your less le- uh, your other less lethal options. And if you're immediately going to a dog every single time, then then you're really playing all the hole cards minus yep. your deadly force hole card. Yeah. And why play all those hole cards right away? And with the scenario-based training, if you can end the situation by going hands-on with a person and the dog gets to see that, then that's bonus training for the dog because the dog's going to actually see that for real on the street. Exactly. So, you know, try and build those or get rid of building the condition responses that we do that are negative into the training. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Anybody else have anything? You guys, I appreciate it. I mean, everybody's here. uh, Everybody's busy doing training and stuff, but I pulled everybody here together. So I appreciate you guys all taking a few minutes, and I think this is a real valuable stuff. And I, I, uh, again, that Ron, thanks for inviting me. The Western States Police Canine Association here in Reno. It's a, it's a good event. So uh, if you like what you're hearing and you want to do some working dog stuff, check it out. It's for anybody. It doesn't. You don't have to be in the Western States. You can come out here from any part of the country. So check it out online, and uh, we'll probably uh, talk some more about. Some of the stuff we were doing this week. So thanks, guys. I appreciate it.